Support for Best of Belfast comes from listeners just like me who love Northern Ireland and believe we have a better story to tell. A massive thanks to all of you listening who have already joined the Producers Club, especially our Titanic producers, Barclays Eagle Labs, Ulster University, Young Enterprise Northern Ireland, Gavin Wall, Peter Dixon, and of course, the Orma Baths team. Today's episode wouldn't exist without you. To find out more about how you can support independent ad-free media, get invitations to live podcasts, and submit questions to our guests, please visit bestofbelfast.org. Thanks so much, and really hope you enjoy today's show. So one of my favorite things about doing the podcast is that it kind of gives you, not an excuse, but I would say, let's call it an opportunity to kind of be a little bit nosy. So I walk to work every day, absolutely love it. And I've always walked past this place and it's always really intrigued me. And I remember one day I was walking home from work and there was like this massive line outside. I mean, like, I would say a hundred people, okay? And for that part of town, you're kind of like, what the heck's going on? So a couple of weeks later, I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to pop in and, and see what the crack is. And that is where I met today's guest. And so, so glad that I did go in. So glad that I started the conversation that has led to this conversation that I'm going to share with you guys. And yeah, really, really fun one, really interesting and kind of a bit of a wild card one. But sure, that's why we listen to podcasts, isn't it? So here we go. In 2014, Aaron Flanagan and his brother quit their proper jobs. Uh, We kind of joked and said, you know, like the jobs that you could get a, a mortgage with to open comic book guys. Northern Ireland's largest independent comic book store and the first ever authorised CGC dealer. That's a big deal. The one-stop shop located in Great Victoria Street, kind of like the upper part of Great Victoria Street near the Go Garage, kind of more the Shaftesbury Square sort of direction, if anyone uh, is interested, has been serving Belfast's thriving comic book scene through golden Silver Age, bronze to modern comics, movie memorabilia, toys, collectibles, and even comic books made by local creators, including Aaron and his brother and a couple of other of the team. Uh, They made their own comic book, guys. Comic, it's absolutely incredible. It's like them fighting off a zombie apocalypse in the shop. Oh, man, it is so, so funny. Really enjoyed it. Uh, So, in this week's conversation, we chat about what it's like to serve a small but dedicated market the impact superhero movies have had on the comic book industry and what it's like to set up your own business and why a vintage medium like comic books are thriving today. Really interesting stuff. Aaron is just dynamite on the mic. He has a lot of really interesting things to say. Really interesting shop. Really interesting what these guys are doing and amazing to see them thriving and doing so well. So without further ado, let's get the show on the road and get stuck into today's episode. Hi, my name's Aaron from Comic Book Guys, and you're listening to Best of Belfast. All right, guys, what's the crack? My name's Matthew Thompson, and welcome to Best of Belfast, the podcast that celebrates our wee country, Northern Ireland. Each episode gives you the opportunity to get to know and learn from some of the incredible people who call this place home through our unfiltered conversations. The show is brought to you from our recording studio in Ormo Bass, Barclay Eagle Labs, a co-working space right here in the heart of the city centre. Support for Best of Belfast comes from our Producers Club, where listeners just like you pledge as little as £1 a month in exchange for exclusive perks, invitations to live podcasts, some Northern Irish swag, and much, much more. Massive, massive thank you to all of you who are part of that, especially our Titanic producers, Town Square Cafe, Gavin Wall, Ali Hart, 
Young Enterprise Northern Ireland, and of course, the Omobass team. We could not do this show without our producers, and thanks to your support, we can keep it running and allowed to stay ad-free. So, really appreciate you. To find out more about the great work these guys do, and support us on our journey to 100 interviews, please visit bestofbelfast.org. Okay, that's it for me. Time to jump straight into today's conversation with this week's local legend. So one of the questions that I was looking forward to asking you was, how did you get into comics? It's a good question. It's one that I've went back and I, I used to wonder this question myself because when I was opening a shop, I've always had a passion for comics. Always. It's always been in my life. And then I started to say to my mum and dad, whatever got me into comics? Because it's been in my life for as long as I can remember. And my dad said to me that when I was about five or six, my attention span as a kid was abysmal. Oh, like, yeah? Oh, you couldn't get me to read anything. <laughs> like, it's got much better over the years. So yeah. I, I think as a kid, I was far more interested in being out and playing and doing all that, not being a, in reading books or anything like that. So my dad thought, right, we need to get him into reading something. So he gave me a comic book because it had pictures as well as words. Yeah. And he thought, well, that's a medium that... He used to read as a kid. It looks like something that Iron might take to. And apparently whenever I started, I lifted it up when I was five. That was it. Honestly. Hooked on him. And I, I can't remember a time, I think right up there was, God, probably up there was 14. I was reading them religiously. Like wow. I would have read comics flat out all, all day, every day. And then 14, 15, girls took my priority for, <laughs> for a couple of years. <laughs> comics took the back burner a wee bit. But um, I met Kier, obviously, my partner and I, when it was... 15, 16 and at that point that was when she's a massive comic book nerd you see same oh. as me one night I was up in her house she had a, a Moon Knight comic sitting on her table yeah. and I said God do you like comics? and she was like love comics why? and we never talked about it because I sort of went out of it a wee bit Aye. and it just reignited everything I just thought oh this girl's class she likes comics and because I've seen it I thought I have a load of old comics and it just got me way back into it and that's how I found my way back into comics you know after a couple of years out but yeah it's just because as I say my attention span as a kid was abysmal and I think that's the thing that people now like when people are in the shop with me they say that their kids are either you know they have ADHD or they have OCD they have they're on the spectrum in some form or another and they always say that they struggle to get their kids to read. Yeah. So they're trying new mediums. So clearly it wasn't just something that my mum and dad thought was a good idea. It's became a technique that parents and teachers now use as a way to get kids into reading. And it's fantastic. It's a it's a learning tool as well as an entertainment um, tool. So it's fantastic. Like the medium is the best thing ever. It is interesting. And we were chatting uh, a couple of my mates. We after meeting you that time and when you were going to this interview I've been chatting about comic books and I was like any of you guys read comic books like da 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 we're kind of saying right enough though like back in the day like and I mean really back in the day like even before like you and I were kids yeah. like comic books were like I like the episodic nature of them because you would have been before TV shows before anything you would have got the comic and then you've been waiting for the yep. next comic book to come out yep. I think like we've almost lost that a wee bit because everything is so instant yeah. and because you can get you you know something new comes out you can just binge it all in one go so what's it like in comic culture is there still that sort of waiting or what is it like there is I agree with you completely I think that episodic nature is what makes the comic medium so in- interesting and TV shows had it for a long time 
But then with the advances of things, streaming services and Netflix and things like that, as you say, when new new shows are released, they don't release it episode by episode. They give you all 13 yeah. episodes and you binge through it because you can't help yourself. Whereas with comics, they don't do that. And that's what I still love. What they'll do is they'll drip feed something out once a month. They'll give you a story arc that's 10 issues. You have to wait a full year to get the story read. Wow. But people are, are waiting because it's that old like the, the shows and the TV shows and the films that I love watching are ones that leave you on a cliffhanger or mm. wanting more and you can't really do that with TV shows anymore because of you, we've lost that certainly in the in the the entertainment side of things but from a, a comic perspective and from a physical perspective it's still one of the only mediums that they can do that with because yeah even with digital comics, they still leave you on that cliffhanger and still release it in the same way they release physical comics. So that hasn't changed. And I think that's one of the, the big, big pluses about comics, that they still have that, I want more, I want more, but you have to wait for it, you know, because yeah. they come out on a weekly basis or a monthly basis, depending on the title. And just like your newspapers, just like your magazines, they release new content and they keep current content, current content coming out. So it's a medium that, Everybody worries that is it going to be the end of it because <laughs> everything physical seems to be done these days. Yeah. Everything's going digital, but I think we're at, we're right at the peak of it being probably one of the most important mediums that there is at the minute. You know, and do you think it's going to grow? Because there is kind of like immediately as we're having conversations like this, I immediately am thinking of nostalgia, right? Yeah, and I'm thinking of like times when I was a kid and reading comic books and being so into that. And there has been this massive pendulum swing of. People are getting really into nostalgia, yeah. Like, and to the point where like big corporations are starting to like tune into it. Like, how many shows are being set in the nineties at the yeah. minute, or like movies? It was Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel, per- perfect example. Yeah. You know, all my mates who half of them aren't even in the Marvel, yeah. aren't even in the comic books. They're like, oh, that's set in that's set in like ninety five. Like, that's class. Like, we should go see it. And I was like, mate, you've been absolute hoodwinked. <laughs> you've been hoodwinked by the big corporates, but it's yeah. working. You know, and you see people getting back into vinyl, the Kindle sales. It's you know, it stopped spiking. It yeah. started to steady off. So, is this medium's going to grow? What do you think? I think everything goes in cycles. You know, the the vinyl the vinyl thing. Everybody loves them, and it's a very hipster, cool thing to do and collect. <laughs> it is. It's it's just the nature we're living. Same as comic books. Comics are at their pinnacle at the minute, and because the collectability around comics is humongous at the minute. I mean, people buy comics to read, yes, but people also buy them to speculate and to sell on. And the value of some comics, which we'll talk about, now, it's worth talking about actually, um, is fucking huge so it's it's definitely something that because of the films and because of um just because of the way the world is at the minute it's something that is at its peak will it grow i don't know i think the film franchises at the minute because there's so many comic book films out there at the minute i do worry that we're we're gonna hit a fatigue level where everybody will just go fuck is that all they're releasing at the minute is it just another <laughs> superhero film and once that happens that will have a massive detrimental impact on the comics yeah. because we opened just on the cusp of these films taking off. You know, That's five amazing. years, we were very lucky that we opened just when, I'm trying to remember what the film was at the time, it must have been one of the early Iron Mans, it would have been wow. anyway. So we opened when comics were just getting cool. Yeah, but yeah, because yeah. we had always been into them, it was not never something that was cool to us, we yeah. just wanted to do it as a passion. And was that, like, was that planned or was that just kind of luck? It was a bit of both. Nice. You know, we... Uh, I say the whole family, my whole family, apart from my mum, we all love comic books. Like my dad got it into us as a kid. He instilled it in us. He loves comics. But we both had proper jobs. You know, we had, pro- say proper jobs. What I have now is a proper <laughs> job. We had jobs that, you know, the bank banking industry were... You would get a mortgage with. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I went there. Exactly right. So we did, that, we did that whole thing. But 
in the back burner, we'd always talked about getting into comics. We never thought the shop was away because, you know, when you're growing up, you always think you're reading these comics. You think, fuck, I could do this. I could mm. definitely do this. Now I can't draw for shit. So I knew <laughs> I couldn't get into drawing comics. So we thought if we ever get in them, it'll be by writing them. Yeah. But we're not great writers either. So we, <laughs> we decided what's the only other avenue. And the only way to get into this scene was to open a shop that I could get to talk to people mm. and create like a... We wanted to create an atmosphere where people didn't feel it was just a shop. It was more than that. It was a place where people could come and talk about comics, buy comics, sell comics, listen to comics, do a bit of everything comic related. So I think at the time we opened, we were very, very lucky because if we had opened two years later or two years earlier, shop wouldn't have been around. Wow. Yeah. So it was just a sweet spot. We're very lucky to open when we did. But I do worry, come back to what you said, that... Now that Avengers Endgame has has sort of put an end to this phase of Marvel, I hope that they do slow down a little bit with the comic with the comic yeah. book adaptions and films because, as good as they are for us sales wise in the shop, I have noticed a lot of people saying already in the shop, God, it's just so many of those films, and yeah. they're not even starting to pick and choose what ones they want to see in the cinema. Yeah. Now, if you had said to me 10, 15 years ago, people were picking and choosing what superhero films they want to see, <laughs> I wouldn't believe you because it was Green Lantern, things like Green Lantern right, when I was yeah. a bit younger and nobody wanted to see it. So it's like now people are being so choosy over what what media. You know, it's crazy to think that. So I hope they slow down a wee bit because I don't want it to be detrimental on the on yeah. the, the, the sort of physical side of the comic books. Cool. Well. That's a lot of ground covered already. Um, that's just our sound check. So <laughs> fantastic. The first question we always, the official question when we start off with, and this really is to find out a wee bit more about you. Yeah. So silly question. We're aware. We've done it for 50. We may as well keep going. And it's if you walk into an elevator, big Liam Neeson's there. How do you introduce yourself up on that wee, on that wee ride up? <laughs> I would go, oh, Liam, <laughs> it's great to meet you. No, I'm Aaron Flanagan, owner of Comic Book Guys. Uh, Northern Ireland's largest independent comic book store. Lovely to meet you, Liam. <laughs> Mate, that's a good. That's a that's a nice title to be thrown around. It's well, it's it's something I've created myself. <laughs> no, it is. We apart from Forbidden Planet, we're the only sort of proper, I would say, indie comic book store. There are a few others out there, but we sort of started that indie nature, and I think we're, hopefully we've brought that indie vibe of comics and collectibles back to Belfast. I mm. think it was lacking here for a long time, so. Um, that was the idea behind the shop, and we have grown from strength to strength. Yeah. So I'll be honest, um, and I told you this the first time I walked into your shop, the, the reason why I have you here today is for, well, it's for a couple of reasons. Number one is I'm really into superheroes, obviously, as when I was a kid. So there was that wee bias there, but it was really because I walk past your shop every day when I walk from my house to your mobile. Yep. And I was walking home one night. I can't remember when it was. It was fairly late. It was in the evening, like... And there was a line from your shop all the way round to the go garage. I mean, there had to be at least 100 people. (laughs) And I just said to myself, what the heck is going on in this comic book shop that there's 100 people here? I couldn't believe it because I always just thought, and I am, you know, I'm, I'm aware of my own ignorance here. I was like, look, comic books, fringes, it's not really something that people are still doing nowadays. It's maybe like a, you know, like... This is a terrible thing to say. I had almost filed it in my head with stamp collecting. Yeah. In terms, of, in terms, that is of, an awful thing to say. <laughs> that is a terrible, <laughs> terrible, terrible thing to say. I'm aware of it, but I was just like, oh my word! And I was just so interested to see that even in Belfast there was a really big comic book scene that people are really into this. And I was like, I have to get chatting to these guys. I have to figure out what's going on. I know. I mean, I was delighted because when you come in, there there is that notion. Like when people walk into the comic, walk into comic book guys. 
one of the things, and this is new customers walking in, when they say to me, God, I wasn't expecting this. When they walk in, they look at the shop, and I say, well, what were you expecting? <laughs> and they, they expect it to be some dirty, dingy old hole <laughs> with some fat guy behind the till who stinks, who doesn't want any interest in you. Sure. They get the fat guy behind the counter. That's me, ah. you know. They so that, they still get that. But what what they don't see is that comics have moved on, you know. Mm. And we aren't like every other comic book shop, and I think that's what sets us apart. We, I think, I have OCD in some way, so we our our shop looks crisp, it looks clean. You've been in it, Matthew, so it has that nice aesthetic. And I think that we're very, we're very, very. What would be the best way to put it? We're very interested in. People buy with their eyes. So the shop has to always look a million dollars. And whether, you know, even on the slower days, when people, but when new people come in, they have to see that shop the way it was the first day it was open. So mm. we are very, very conscious about how the shop looks. And the shop itself, you're right, it does attract the fringes, as you would call them. But the fringes now have become the mass. That's you know, it. comics yeah. have now broached into the mass market. And because of that, you know, when new people come in who haven't been in this in, in this sort of life or in this sort of area, you do need to make it accessible for them. Yeah. So the shop itself has to look accessible. If it just looked like a dive where you didn't know where to start, people would never come in. Mm. So as you say, when you walk past it every day, the hope is that when people walk past it, they go, God, that's a nice looking shopper. Yeah. What's that shop all yeah. about? So you have to have it aesthetically looking good. The days that you were walking past, you know, there are days. We, not every day is busy like that. Don't get me right. I wish it was. But the days that we have like that, we do special signings in the shop. We do events. And I think the night you were probably talking about, we had Nicholas Brendan over, who was Zander and Buffy. Brilliant. And it was a great event. We had, as you say, there was queued out the door. Yeah. And it's great to see that the... The market is here in Belfast. It is a very niche market, don't get me wrong. Like The scene in Belfast is quite small compared to Dublin or, or mm. anywhere else in the mainland. But we're getting there. And it takes shops like ours and other shops to create that culture and to yep. help foster the culture. And I think that you know doing events like Free Comic Book Day, which we've got this Saturday, doing events like you know the Nicholas signing and doing... We've had loads of signings in the past. But you have to do those. You have to keep people's interest. If you just do the same stuff and you just fade into the background, the, the culture won't grow yeah. and the, the actual medium won't grow any much. So um, we're very, very interested in always putting on an event or doing something different to get people into it. And those events are what helps bring new people into it. Yeah. And I'm all about trying to spread the world of comics to people who might yeah. not have been you know, used to it. So, yeah, the events like that are very important for us. And I'm glad that when people are walking past, they think, God, what's going on in yeah, here? Because yeah. it does, it made you want to talk to us. It makes other people want to drop by and go, here was in the other day. And once they're in, it gets their interest peaked. And, and I think it's very important to do stuff like that. And, you know, for us, it's not just about having a shop. It's about building a brand. Mm. And, you know, everybody always associates places like House of Fraser or even the likes of Forbidden Planet as a brand. Yeah. And that can only be for big, big companies. Yeah. But I don't believe that for a second. I think, fuck that, that's a bad notion. Yeah. Why can't small places have a have a good brand? Yeah. And I think we have built up a brand that far exceeds our actual size and scale. Yeah. And I think that's that's testament to what we've done over the last five years. Well, your brand is fresh. Your name's awesome. <laughs> your, your name's awesome because I don't know if this is what you were going for, but it's kind of like... It, it feels very Northern Irish without being exclusively Northern Irish. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, who are they? Who, what do you call those guys? Oh, they're the comic book guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's it. Uh, but it would stand on its own two feet in the States or anywhere yeah. you took it. You know what I mean? So. Well, the, the name, the whole naming process, people ask that all the time. You know, oh, how did you come up with a name? Me and a brother just thought, what could we call the shop? And we threw a few ideas and said, well, what, what are we? And he said, eh, comic book guys. He actually <laughs> said comic book boys. And I was like, doesn't <laughs> have a quite ring about it. So comic book guys was, was, was what we created, you know. But 
I say the name, it is it does exactly what it says in the tin. You know, you know what you're getting when you come in. Yeah, and the cool thing about and this is uh, separate away from the the more business side of it, although it certainly does help the business, as you've said. The great thing about you having your own shop and doing these events is that you get to scratch your own itch. You know what I mean? You get exactly. you, you know what? I'd love to meet that guy from Buffy. Why not? Bring bring her in. Bring them in. You know yeah. what I mean? That's exactly why we did it. Because <laughs> like I before I opened the shop, I am. And always will be a nerd. Like, I've been a nerd since I was fucking no age. But before it was cool. Before it was cool. <laughs> and I still don't really feel I'm cool. So, but I think, like, I used to go, we went to San Diego to go to the biggest Comic Con in the world, 2011, long before I opened the shop. And I went around every vendor looking through boxes, wanting to meet all the celebrities. And I always thought at that point, fuck, imagine if I could do this. I could be in contact with agents. I could get to talk to people. I could get to, as you say, scratch my itch. Yeah. And, it is. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't bring people over solely because I want to meet them because I need to make sure other people yeah, are going to That's why I get them on the podcast, full disclosure. <laughs> <laughs> I just talk to people I want to talk to. I feel quite blessed. And if you want to be right here. No, but I think, like, people like Xander and people like, you know, we've had Rusty Goff, who was in Star Wars. We try to attract sort of fandoms and cult followings that don't get much limelight anymore, necessarily yeah. in terms of bringing the people across. So um, it is, it's to, it's to fuel my interest, but also, you know, we listen to what the customers mm. are saying and what they would like. And as good as those big, you know, celebrity signings are in terms of the, the, the mainstream me- media, we also bring in comic book writers and artists who might not be as well known to the mass market, but yeah. certainly to a comic audience. They're fucking huge. Like we had Jodie Belair mm-hmm. and she's, Probably the foremost colorist in comics, but also she's went on the writing. And we had her down six months ago. The shop was busier than what it was for some of the big American celebrities and stuff like that. So it just shows you that I think we're starting to create somewhere where people expect to get that sort of level of of excitement and signings, you know. It's cool. And that, where you were talking about that last event there, is a wee bit indicative of what you're trying to do as well. Because let's be honest, you're in a real niche, you know, market in a small country you know and the the scene isn't as big like you said as in other places but this is a beautiful thing of where i see your business going on loads of other businesses where it's not so much trying you don't need a million customers you just need maybe 500 really loyal ones or whatever it is you know you make up a number and so tell us about your customers because yes you can say this about every business and big companies do say this about their customers but really your customers are the lifeblood of what you're doing. 100%. So who are they? Like, tell us a bit about them. If you know what I mean, like what type of clientele are we talking here? Everybody has this preset notion. I say everybody, I shouldn't say that. I mean, every, uh, everybody that you talk to, who, when you say, what, who is a comic book fan, mm. they have a picture on in their head of what I explained earlier. You know, some overweight, you know, yeah, big bedroom dweller. You from know, Toy Story. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it couldn't be further from the truth. Now, don't get me wrong. Every there's lots of different types of people that we get in, but we have boys, girls, men, women of all ages who come in. I would say our demographic is probably sixty forty in terms of male to female. Yeah, we're getting closer to probably fifty fifty fifty. Um, age wise, initially I always thought that it would be the main demographic would be what I started collecting. You know, maybe twelve to fifteen. Not at all. Main demographic for us would be my age group, so it would be sort of twenty-five to forty-year-olds who have a wee bit of disposable income. They mm. want to fuel that nostalgic thing, you know, that nostalgic yeah, kick. Yeah, yeah. And those are the guys and girls who used a good word. It's they are the lifeblood of the shop. If we didn't have recurring customers and recurring loyal customers, the shop wouldn't be around. Yeah, you know, comic. I'm sure if you talk to any comic owner in the world, 
there's not massive margin in comics, not mm. at all, unless you're hitting the sort of big collectible issues. But on a weekly basis, your weekly new releases, you don't make much on them at all. Yeah. At, at all. So you have to get, as you say, a set of about maybe two, 300 loyal recurring customers who will come in week, again, week in, week out, and spend 15, 20 pound a week. Yeah. And as long as you have that, the shop will do okay. Yeah. But it's again, you have to keep those people interested. Um, and it's how you go about doing that with loyalty schemes and all that sort of stuff. But yeah. because they are the lifeblood of the business, and I know you, you know, it sounds so cheesy because every big company and every company saying. in the world says it's, it's overdone to the point where like you can't you even don't say it, it anymore. You yeah, know what I mean? Because, yeah. you know, if, if you say to somebody, our customers are the ones that really matter, yeah. it's just sound like a bullshit. <laughs> you know? Our customers are the rock stars yeah. of our business. It just sounds like <laughs> bullshit. And that's why, like, when I say, because even saying out loud, I make myself sound like a knob. But <laughs> when I talk to my customers, and they're more, they are a lot of them are more than customers now. They have, yeah. you, you bridge that and become friends with a lot of them. And they know that if it wasn't for them, mm. the shop wouldn't be around. And that's why, you know, when we do all those events, we you see the same faces coming out. And they they might not necessarily be into the event that you're doing, yeah. but they're in the supporting you. And they're yeah. in the supporting that they want the scene to flourish here. Yeah. So the customers that we have and the friends that we have to the shop are vitally important. They mm. come from all ages, all races, all genders, everything. Yeah. There's no, it's not that set demographic that everybody thinks that's a comic book person. He must be a nerd. Yeah. You know, some big neck beard who, you know, because <laughs> I'm explaining, I, and for people who are, obviously, you're, and people aren't watching this, but for the people listening, I'm a fat guy with a neck beard, so I can say it. <laughs> so it's, it's one of those things that I think that people just have a, a notion of who the comic collector yeah. is. But, God, you couldn't be further from the truth. Honestly, everybody who walks into the shop is different, and, you know, and, and that's what I love about the medium. It mm. attracts everybody now. Didn't used to, but it does now. Yeah. And what made you choose your location? Or was it a simple matter of here, mate, it was a free building? <laughs> <laughs> there was a couple of reasons. Like, we used to, we and you haven't really got chatting about the, where we used to be. We used to be in the Spires building, which is, it's an old church building. And for us, somewhere my dad used to take us on a Saturday. We used to go into town every Saturday. Yeah. We used to go to Spires to get a fry. We then oh. uh, used to be class. Used to go there to get a fry. We used to go down and go around Ann Street and go to a place called Hyperspace. Then round the Wine Tavern Street to Talisman. Then back to Kentucky. <laughs> and that was our day done. Nice. It was just a routine the that circuit. we had. Yeah, it was a circuit that you had. And it became a routine. So whenever we, we decided to open the shop, we looked around at the available locations in Belfast. Now, rent and rates here are extortionate yeah. in a lot of places, Let's especially city centre. Yeah. So we had to look for somewhere that was still central enough, but had affordability for us for starting out. So when we picked Spires, we got it for a good price rent-wise, massive big space, mm. but the location, while still central, you wouldn't have known about it. It's unless hidden. It's hidden. It unless is. It's yeah. used as a thoroughthrough for people going to their buses and stuff. So we were lucky to get that space as a starting point for not too much money, but enough that you know we felt it was affordable, but also would, would drive a bit of custom. Yeah. It created a, a brilliant building block for us. We got, I would say... 50, 60% of our, our regular customers who are still with us were because of spars, which is Epic. great, and they've stayed with us. But it got to a point where we were starting to outgrow spars. Spars was, a, as I say, a great big space, but because it didn't get the natural footfall, you were relying on, you know, viral marketing, and you were relying yeah. on word spreading. And no matter how good you are, it'll never spread to a level it's where it's always teaming with people. So we had to look outside of, outside of spars. But come back to the rent and rates, everywhere in the city centre is huge. It's just the way it yeah. is now. And even with the empty units that there are in the city centre, the, the council don't really make it easy. Yeah, there's the, no budging. There's not, I don't know why, but there's sure. Not. 
And we looked at places in, you know, all around where we thought was the right spot. But then we came across in Great Victoria Street where we are now. And the unit that we, that we saw, just as soon as we saw it, we thought the out, the outer shell looked just like the comic shop I had always envisioned. It, yeah. looked, it looked like somewhere you could lift out of Brooklyn and literally drop it in. <laughs> and it was just, it looked like an American comic book shop on the outside. So when I seen it, I was like, fuck, that, that looks like the spot. Now, it used to be a tannin salon. You know, the, the interior was a tannin salon. So there was a fair bit of work that needed done to it in terms of turning it from that to the aesthetic that we have now. But in the end, we decided to take it. It was two units. We knocked the wall through, created one big space. It's quite open plan. And the potential, there's four floors in that building. And the idea is to take over each floor to make it the largest um, comic shop. Wow. But I think the reason we chose that particular space is Great Victoria Street used to be known as the Golden Mile, where we are. It's lost that appeal a wee bit, but it's where the shops like Good Vibrations started. It's like it has that still quirky and indie vibe about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I think we're starting... The way the world is working at the minute, we're starting to work work back towards that. There's a lot of redevelopment happening there, and and all there was lots of reasons why we chose it. The rent and rates weren't as killer as when you go more central in the town, but the one sort of defining reason I think we chose it for the type of customer that we get in doesn't want to be in the city centre, doesn't want a thirty or forty people in at the one given time because Aye. they want a bit of space, a bit of time. They want to have a bit of crack and banter with yeah. who's on because. You don't walk into Tesco's and expect a 10-minute chat with a guy at the counter. Yeah. People expect that when they come in the art shop. Yeah. They expect a level of service as well as just buying a comic book. So we needed to have somewhere that wasn't going to be mental all mm. the time, but enough footfall that it would get good traction. Yeah. So we moved to close to the university. We, we had lots of reasons why we moved it there. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Touch wood. It's, uh, <laughs> it's paid dividends, and that's the plan. Stay there for a wee while longer, and we'll, we'll see where the world takes us next. I'm really glad you made that Brooklyn comparison, because I always joke with people, because I live around there, yeah. and, you know, live up Donegal Road. And I always say to people, and some people look at me like I'm daft, I'm like, mate, that Donegal Road, Sandy Road area is going to be the Brooklyn of Belfast. Yeah. Like, I don't care what anyone says. Like, I'm like, mate, if anyone has any money, buy houses around there. Yeah. Because see, in like five years' time, it'll be completely, completely... You'll not a, be able to you afford won't, Yeah, honestly. It's, again, I think it's it's on, it's on top. Yeah, and that's, that's the it. reason. And that wee part of uh, Great Victoria Street, I almost wish you could call it a different street. Because I say Great Victoria Street to people, what do they think? They think the train station, Crown Bar, yeah. and that, the bosom there, right? Yeah. But you're you're down, you're beside the Go Garage... Yeah. Sony Center. Sony Center, all that sort of stuff. And yeah, that is, it's a wee kind of like untapped part of the yeah. street because you go, it's hustle, bustle, hustle, bustle, and then a wee bit quieter. And then just literally down the road where the KFC and Lavery's is, yep. it's bustle, bustle, bustle. So it is, I think you've got in a really good time because there is just going to, it has to be that yeah. connecting, uh, kind of bridging those two uh, spaces of bustle, yeah. for lack of a better term. So I think you're in a, in a really, really great place. And like you said, it also gives you that opportunity to be really focused and intentional. Well, that's it. Um, I think the nature of the shop, it needs to be because people don't uh, say our customers, if it was hustle and bustle all the time, yeah, it would turn into a, a supermarket. Yeah. It wouldn't be the shop it is now. So yeah. As much as I want it to be busy all the time, <laughs> I don't want it to be that puts customers off. Yeah, but you know, you don't want window shoppers either. Exactly. You want you want people who are invested. Yeah. Um, I'm obviously always looking for stories, and I am a bit of a story geek in mm-hmm. general. And uh, even like you know things that people tell me, I'm always writing them down, thinking. But seeing where I went in, was chatting to you, I was like instantly, I was like, yep. Definitely going to do a podcast with this guy. <laughs> and then you literally just pulled it out of the bag and put the cherry on top where you said, yeah, yeah, and we've also made our own comic book. <laughs> and it was at that point I just went, 
Flip's sake. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We're absolutely doing this. This is last. So it's sitting here in my yeah. office. I've been showing everybody. I'm dead, dead impressed by it. And so I just would love to hear the story of how that came about, why you decided to do it the way you did it, who all was involved, yeah. because it seems to be just this real crown jewel of what you guys have been doing. And I, I'm really, I'm chuffed. So that's it. Uh, you're very, you are. You're genuinely really appreciate it because it is a, it was a passion project. And when people say kind things about the shop, it's lovely because, you know, it makes us feel like we're doing something right. And that's not me fucking blowing smoke up your arse. It, it genuinely is the truth. And whenever you said that you wanted to do it, I wanted to give you a feel for as good as a vibe in a conversation is. The comic does give you a bit of a vibe into the type of personality that we'll have. The way it's written is quite quirky and a wee bit yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. tongue-in-cheek. There's a lot of cursing in it as well, so <laughs> forgive that. But the idea, the comic, as I said, I said earlier on, we always wanted to get into comics somehow. And I sort of thought... Again, we'll come back to what I said earlier. We couldn't necessarily write or draw comics, so we opened the shop to sell comics. But after opening the shop for a year and a half, I sort of thought, you've seen, we, we were, we're all about supporting local talent. So we had a lot of local people bringing in their comic books and we were selling them for them. And we still do it. Still one of the, the big things that I always drive people towards. But what I very quickly realized is a lot of people who were bringing their stuff in, they were just like me. They were just like Austin. They were just like my dad. They were like John, big John McFarlane, who the artist is. And I sort of thought, well, if they can do it, why can't we? I, yeah, used, yeah. I used to think lots of things, why we couldn't do it. As I say, joking about, you know, I didn't think we could write. I thought financially it would be well out of our mm. league because, you know, I didn't know how much it cost to produce a comic. Um, but the idea came up, you know, we were like, do you know what? We've got a defined audience now. The shop had been open for about a year and a half. So we had an avenue to sell it. The problem why small indie comics fall down, generally they have no distribution method. Yes. So we already had that with the shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we thought... People might want to pick this comic up as a novelty because yeah. they want to support us. Other tur- tourists might want to pick it up because they can say, I got this look on Belfast. Belfast. Yep. Exactly. So there's lots of avenues we sort of thought, God, there's, there's definitely something in this. Yeah. So we tried to create a comic that tapped on something that we were interested in, which is zombies. The idea of the comic is me and me and the brother, we're in the shop. It's just closing up for the night. And as we're closing up, zombies get in <laughs> through the trap door and we have to fight zombies off with comic book memorabilia yeah, in the yeah, shop yeah. and that's it's pretty much as simple as that yeah. if you were to ask me how to summarize the story that's it yeah but as the story unfolds you know it goes on about sort of the dynamic between us as brothers it goes on about the dynamic with um how we fight off the zombies and things like that with a lot of one-liners and a lot of jokes in it you know in fact the whole comic is pretty much one-liners it's amazing way. it really is it's, yeah it's a bit of fun but we're very very family oriented you know one of the the things that when we opened the shop we wanted to maintain was a good old family vibe about the place. And uh, so we had everybody involved. My dad, me and me and Austin come up with the idea of the comic. So we sort of said, we want it to be zombie related. Mm-hmm. We want it to be something that, you know, people would laugh at. But we didn't really come up with the actual sort of story. My dad, he's published a few poems in the, in the past and he's a very good writer. And we sort of thought, well, Instead of trying to farm it out to somebody, yeah. get my, get my dad a, a go at this. Keep it in the family, maybe. Yeah, Why not? Well, well, he, well, the fact that he got us in the comics and he loves them so much, yeah. it's always been a dream of his to, to do something with comics. So we said to my dad, Dad, can you write that for us? And we sat with him. We threw back a few ideas and we left him to it. And he came up with a, which what I thought was a cracking story. And we decided, right, we've got the story. We now need to find an artist. And Belfast, in fact, Ireland in general, has some of the the best talent you will find out there. It's and crazy. it's so on top of them. And I mean, the talent for comic artists and writers here is phenomenal. So good friend of mine, Big John McFarlane, that's who the artist was for our comic. I only got to know John through the shop, but 
automatically when we, when he first came through the doors about six months in he was just he's buying comics like yeah, yeah. normal people um he became a part of the furniture john and i get on like the best so whenever we thought about what artists we could use john was the first person that came to mind now since the comic john's went on to do things like sherlock holmes and he's starting to get Class. bigger gigs now and he has such a, a lovely style about him and a proper comic old-fashioned comic mm. book style so we say, we give, it's called the old Stanley method. This is what it's called. So when you give an artist your story, they okay. then draw it out how they feel, see fit, yeah. and then they give you it back, and you have to put in the speech bubbles with the writing. Got you. So you sort of you give a, an outline, and then they give you back their version, and you just sort of tweak the the lines as yeah. to what's needed. So whenever John sent us back the art, we were like, "Fuck, this is class." So we went through and just sort of started filling the bubbles, really, and that was it in terms of the. The actual creation process, yeah. but because we had the shop for such a period of time, we got to know quite a lot of famous artists on the scene here, and we reached out to those guys and said, "Would you be interested in doing what's called the variant cover, which is like a, a the same comic but just a different cover?" Okay, and that way it opened our avenues out because they were sort of ah. sharing it to their audience, and if you get six of those people sharing it out, again, yeah, it has that yeah, viral yeah, spread. Yeah. So we're very lucky, and everybody was so nice, and they, they were willing to do it really at no cost for us because. Yeah. We had done, done signings with them and become mm-hmm. friends. And it was one of the lovely things. And as I say, the, the comic itself, we for whatever reason, we got a thousand print of thinking that'll last us uh, a yeah, lifetime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in, in the last sort of, I would say in the last two, three weeks, we're down to really, I would say, a handful left that now. So Crazy. We've sold out of pretty much the thousand, but it's at a good time because we've just on the cusp of releasing the Revenance issue two. Um, oh, there's an issue two? Yeah. Oh, we, mate. We've never expected to do an issue Come two. On. Because the first one, well, it's not a spoiler. It's not like Endgame if it was a start. <laughs> going through anything. At the end of the first one, we just walk out saying, we'll stick to selling comic books. Yeah. But it was only ever meant as a one shot. Aye. But because the feedback was so good on it, we decided, you know what? We can take the idea of the revenants but it doesn't have to be a direct sequel it can just be us with different themes yeah so the second one's the revenants to zombies on a train <laughs> it's us on, a, on our way down to dublin comic con and Class. it's it's a great wee story another fellow one-liners and you know it's five minutes of entertainment that's all it is because yeah the, the person that we tested it with when i knew the comic the the moment i knew the comic would be successful is when i give them a mum mm-hmm. my mum Hates hates comics <laughs> for all intents and purposes. She doesn't see she doesn't see it as some. She's more interested in watching TV or reading a book. Yeah, and we give her the comic, and I sat with her while she read it. She laughed at all the right parts. She was able to follow it. People struggle with the flow of a comic book because it's not sequential necessarily. It's very different. It is. It's different from reading yeah. a book. And she was able to follow it sequentially. She laughed as I said at the right moments, and she even laughed that we had a your ma joke in there, and she laughed at that, which was grateful about. <laughs> but. Because I knew she liked it and my mum would be considered the mass market, um, I had a feeling it was going to do okay. And thankfully, when we pushed it out, the feedback, as you say, was lovely. Like So, yeah, it was... It went better than any of us would have expected. You know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna change the world. We're not gonna get a film made about it. It's not like we're gonna get an option <laughs> by a TV show. But um, I think it was just a, it was a way that we could sort of add to that passion and do something that we never thought possible. Mm. And it just, it was, it was sort of validation that... I think the idea and the potential for this sort of stuff is there for not just us, for lots of people. And I hope that it's give other people the the thing, the, the sort of the spark to go, do you know what? If those guys can do it, Mate, we yes. can do it. Do you know, because getting a comic printed can be costly, but if you do it in the right way, 
you can if you can do it actually on a on a tight enough budget, and it can be super successful. I mean, you just look at things like Walking Dead. That comic only got something like seven thousand <laughs> issues released to the first issue, My which goodness. is only six thousand more than ours. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and that has spanned an absolute sort of behemoth massively. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up because I was, I was literally thinking while you were talking there. Because I was thinking about good vibrations and even where you're located and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, mate, these guys have just shown local artists, local writers, and even local everybody's yeah. that, hey, you can actually make your own comic. And do you think, or is one of your hopes kind of for down the line that the same way good vibrations has helped kind of springboard, you know, various artists and musicians and albums and all this sort of stuff. You guys, you have the potential because you already are doing it of being much more than just a shop. Mm. Like you guys could be, you could see the greatest Northern Irish comic rise through your doors. Yeah. Like, isn't that mad? It's, it's, it is crazy. And it was one of the things that I never factored in when we opened the shop. I never thought for one second that we'd have, you know, celebrities coming through yeah. or, or fostering and helping develop these people. And, you know, John's a prime example. John came into me very, the first moment. It's I, this I never, big John McFarlane. It's a big John McFarlane. Okay. I'll never forget when John <laughs> walked in. He walked in with his head down, come up to the counter and said, I draw, can you maybe sell some of my work? And I thought, God, this guy's a bit of a dull, <laughs> dull guy. And I thought, but within seconds of me saying, God, your stuff's class, because he had set on the table, he looked up and he smiled and he thought, oh, fuck, he likes my stuff. Yeah. And from that moment, we clicked, as I said. And John, now I'm not saying it's just because of us. He's done, obviously, he's worked hard to get where he is, but he's working on, he's going in the right direction to really hit hit the big time. It's amazing. He really is, and that's only in the space of two years. But it's not just him. You know, people like, there's a fellow called Michael Gordon. Uh, I must give you one of his comics next time around. But Michael started just again, regular cost, just completely regular customer coming in. He was writing reviews for, um, you know, film reviews for just a, an online website. And great writer. Just you could tell he's very tactful, a very, very good writer. And uh, one day he brought me in a script and he said, Aaron, would you have a read at that? And I was like, God, I am I'm willing to read anything. And it was called Thalassophobia. And I said to Michael, fuck, Mike, I need to change that. I can't even say it. <laughs> and, and he said, and it was all about, it was an underwater sort of story that was brilliant. It was like a Bermuda, Bermuda Triangle type thing. And um, I said, fuck, that, there's a class. That, you know, I need to be a comic man. Yeah. And he said, well, that's the plan. And that was three years ago, four years ago. Michael has recently got picked up and he's writing Stan Lee's Lucky Man. You know, the James Unbelievable. Nesbitt, um, the TV show. He's writing a comic for that now. That's the last of Phobia. He actually did change the name in the end. He changed yeah, it to Trans yeah, Dimensional. Yeah, yeah. It was a bit easier there to say. And uh, it got picked up by a publishing house that have now, it's not got option, but it's certainly on the, the verge. Um, Michael's writing for a company called Scout Comics who are Amazing. as big as, you know, the other publishers out there like Image. So, and he started off just like any other customer show. But whenever I'm talking to him in the shop and we and him are having the crack and the banter, when other people go in and go, fuck, that's Michael. Ah. You know and I'm like, that's Michael. You know what? So it does, it's weird to think that you sort of grow with them. And I think the yeah. shop has is helping foster that for, for certain people. And I hope it does a lot more. And that's the plan. It's not just... The one thing I will say, the shop is not just a shop. Mm. It is more than that. It's a We have created a little sort of a wee environment and a culture where people who are like-minded do feel that they can come in and just have a chat and talk through ideas and stuff and it's brilliant it's class i couldn't hope for better dude who knows you could have a floor of that building turned into a publishing house you know what i mean you never know in-house in-house studio for artists and everybody that'd be class unbelievable there's so many plans and potential that you can go with this but I say the the reason why I think we've been at Touchwood is successful enough so far is baby steps. It's doing stuff, 
you know, it's it's true the old story, the old adage, you know, it's the, the tortoise will always out, you know, win the mm. hare. Because if you do things slow and steady, you'll always win the race. And yeah. our growth and continued growth is because we do it on a steady basis. We don't try to jump into things. And I think that's where a lot of shops, especially comic book shops, will fall down because they'll order too many comics too quickly. They'll they'll take on too much. They'll try to they try to grow the business too quickly. So I think that's the plan anyway, you know, to do all that stuff. But yeah. we've got time. And you time. you've got good heads on your shoulders, like. I mean definitely. I mean, yeah, we were just chatting about the the Avengers event you were at. Yeah. How many people were at that? There's about two and a half thousand pre booked and then maybe another five, six hundred on the night. So at least three thousand people. That's mad. Which like, is crazy. Dublin Road Cinema. Uh, well, the, well the, the, we we t- work very tightly with the Odyssey, yeah. And Dublin, I think Dublin Road, they must have done, they would have done as well as us. But the event that we oh done, sorry, was this an Odyssey? Odyssey? Oh, yeah. I beg your pardon. No, no, you're yeah. grand. But the the event that we done, like we had a guy called John Moore come over. Three thousand people in the Odyssey cinema, which is unheard of. What the Odyssey? The, I mean, Dublin Road unfortunately will obviously be closing down because I was going to ask you what are you going to do when Dublin Road closes down, but you got well, the Odyssey. Well, yeah, yeah. well, that's it. I mean, Dublin Road, we used to do a wee bit of work with, yeah. But I think in terms of our vision of for these type of events, the Odyssey were more more open to listen to, to ideas. And I think it's because it's weird. The Odyssey's more, believe it or not, you know, it looks like it's a big corporate cinema. It's not really. It's a very indie sort of cinema that's just happens to be in yeah, the yeah. SSE arena. You know, <laughs> whereas, you know, you look at Dublin Road because it's owned and there's five sort of movie houses around the place, it's harder to put your stamp on something. Aye. You have to go through a yes. lot of channels. It's a bit like, you know, when you come to talk to, you want to interview, say me, you don't have to ask four people to get to me. You yeah. just come straight to the door <laughs> and say, Aaron, come and do an interview, yeah. bang, done. But I think that when we went to the Odyssey with this idea for Avengers, we couldn't hold 3,000 people in our place. There's Absolutely. no way. You'd be like yeah, to hold yeah. 50 people in our shop one at any given point. But, we give we give them the idea of doing a Q and A with we we get to know a lot of people in the industry which we're very lucky about and John Moore is the special effects for Endgame for Guardians of the Galaxy unbelievable and he's, he's not from he's from Leeds but he's over here he was doing Game of Thrones so yeah. he was doing all the special effects for Game of Thrones and he because he's a comic book fan started to come in and like anybody I'll chat to anybody I talk to a brick wall if it was in front of me so John started to come in. And I started to find out a wee bit about him, and we got very friendly. Yeah, and we just threw the idea of him doing a Q and A before Endgame because people want to know. Oh yeah, like I buy DVDs and Blu-rays because I want to watch the special features. I want to hear people like him telling you how much of a dick Batista was or something <laughs> like that. You know, I want to hear those funny stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because a bit like you, I'm interested in listening to people and listening to their life ex- life experiences because that's what makes my life better you yeah. know not by just me talking shit all the time so <laughs> i so when we put that 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 was just something that they loved the idea of and they were open to it and then as i say all the other things they're very they're very open to doing sort of cool quirky things and uh, it was amazing it just but it showed you i mean fuck three thousand people in that one cinema alone plus when you take as i say what all those movie houses were doing what it's unheard of like. fuck, it's huge it is humongous and you know it just shows that there's a certainly a, an interest for comic related stuff I mean a lot of those people won't even will never have picked up a comic in their life and never will but, but that, I don't, it's I don't also care. one of the reasons why you're there yeah you know what I mean to bridge the gap of hey you like this on the screen you might like this on the page yeah class exactly and and that's what when I said earlier where we're lucky to open we did the amount of people who have come in who had never touched a comic, never even heard of comic books, thought they were just being one dandy from way back in the day. <laughs> you know, when they heard, Guardians of the Galaxy was a comic first? What? And then they want yeah, to find yeah. out more about the origin. So it worked wonders for us. Worked absolute wonders for us. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm making this sound like it's all, you know, fucking rosy in the garden. Yeah. <laughs> there, are, there are days when it's tough and, you, you know, you do have bills to pay like anything. You have, you know, there's lots of, lots of hurdles along the way. Yeah. That's how you overcome them and deal with them. And say... 
five years on, you begin to learn how to avoid them. Yeah. You know, and, and the sort of what you have to do better. Yeah. So And so switching into that more personal gear, what are some of the real challenges you guys have faced in doing this and some of the ways you've been able well, to overcome them? One of the things that we we always talked about was having the upfront capital. Like you, these things don't pay for themselves. I wish it was like that. Um, but we didn't want to take loans from banks. I talked to a lot of people who, as great as places like Invest NI are, don't get me wrong, they are fantastic. When you get investment from any investment-based company, I used to work in a, in a company that was investment-based, so I know what it's like. There's an expectation that you have to listen to what they want. You have to take on board what they want and essentially do what they want in order to fulfill and get the finance out of them. It's not something I ever wanted to do. Yeah, I worked for somebody who I loved. My old boss was the best boss I could hope for. But I seen what working with companies like that was doing to him in terms of his vision for the company. Yeah, and for our vision, I wanted it to be our vision. I didn't want it to be yeah. our vision impaired by somebody else. So we decided we had to save a shitload of money. Yeah, you had to, that was the biggest. That was the first hurdle. But getting the money up front is only one one facet of it you have to know what to sell you have to know what to bring in all that stuff so the constant hurdle that we always face and will always face the comic ordering system is not like any ordering system you will ever encounter you have to order three months in advance what with yep so you order your comics three months in advance you pay three months in advance so my my bill might be ten thousand pound for comics every month that I won't get for another three oh, months. Man. But not only that. It's like a cash flow nightmare. You have to guess as well because customers will come in and pick what they want. Yeah. But they don't tell you three months in advance. No. Customers don't know what they want three months in advance. <laughs> so you get your crystal ball out and you say, <laughs> what are people going to buy? So it becomes like, fuck, finger in the air time. What, what, what do people want? So you have to be on the ball in terms of, right, this writer's very big. He's going to be big in three months. She's the best colors. We must order 10 Flip of these. me. So, it's like stock trading. Yeah. So I never knew that before I went to the shop. If anybody had ever contemplated opening the shop, that's what I would tell them now. Look into the whole new 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 release ordering system. It's chaos, but there's just no other way for it. It's the way the system has always been. It can't change. It physically it just it's embedded in the culture. Yeah. And that's why people always say, you know, small shops are closing down around the UK and America. You know, small comic shops are closing down. It's because of the digital age, and it's not. I say, fuck a digital age. It's nothing to do with it. Yeah. It's to do with the the progression of people over-ordering far too early, people's bills being fuck, 10, 15 grand, and then customers coming in and going, I don't want that look shit. And then you're left with 100 or 200 comics that have cost you, you know, three quid each, and there you're sitting out, you know, three grand sometimes. So My goodness. That's the sort of shit that, that becomes a constant hurdle with yeah. a shop like ours. It's not like... You know, a Tesco's or a you know, or a co-op where you know, at your paper stand, and it gets sent back, and you get your money back. I wish you can't yeah. send anything back. So, um, that's the biggest challenge that before I opened the shop, I wouldn't have known really too much about because you don't know it. You have to learn on the hop, you know, a lot yeah, of that yeah. stuff. And it's the one thing that doesn't get easier, but you get used to it. You get used to having to. You become far more educated in your guessing, but no matter for how long <laughs> I do it, it'll always be guesswork to an extent. Yeah. You know, so that's the toughest thing, and that's the the sort of one of the biggest hurdles is, is upfront cash is a tough you know to get started. Once you're started, it's maintaining the the turnover of stock is that was one of the biggest and trickiest things. Yeah, that's like deadly. That. And I so I have to admit, like something I was surprised that was, I'm going to say how cheap a comic was. Mm. Um, now, obviously, you've got your top shelf stuff, which is certainly is not cheap. Yeah. But, you know, 
that we that Revenant's comic there it was at three ninety nine or three sixty. Yeah. I I was surprised by that personally. Yeah. I was thinking, okay, he's brought some comic book out. I was sort of in book mode. I was like, okay, tenor. Yeah. That, you know that that's what it is. But I suppose because they are people are buying weekly. People are buying. You can you can fly through a comic. I suppose yeah. very Five quickly minutes. as well. Yeah. Um. But I was I was surprised by that definitely. On the note of the more expensive comics let me ask you a, a random question like are there people i'm sure there are who literally play the comic collectible game like you would any other investment yeah like people who you know how people collect like luxury watches purely for money is that all that happens in the comics thing as well i assume yeah. there, there there's only two reasons why people buy either sorry three reasons buy to to read buy to collect or buy to sell on the buy to sell on sort of area is what is why the reason the comic market in the nineties the comic market completely tr- it fell apart. It's it was known as like the the darkest age for comics because too, <laughs> it's it's crazy to think wow. it's only in the nineties like. But so many people they're called scalpers were buying comics in comic shops to then go on to it was because of the age of eBay mm-hmm. had started. People were buying a comic in, in a comic shop, then go on selling on eBay because a lot of people didn't have access to comic yes. book shops and shit like that. And that brought the whole comic ground to their knees. But recently, in the last sort of 10 years, people now are buying comics. As I say, yes, to collect, but a lot of people would come into the shop and buy, you know, three or four of the same issue. And I don't ask questions. Listen, if they want to buy three or four of the same issue, it's their prerogative. But when you go online, you'll see that because it's the first appearance of a new character, it's selling for £15 instead of £3 mm. online. But that sort of area won't last forever. The collectability area that is massive at the minute for us is the older sort of what, what are called Silver Age comics. So ones Silver are, Age comics. Silver Age comics. So I like that. Comics from the sort of 60s, 70s. And it'll, it'll be things like the first time you get to see Black Panther in comics and the first time you see Spider-Man. And those are the comics that people really want to get a hold of. Like the most expensive comic that we have ever sold was the Hulk issue one. It was the first ever appearance of the Hulk. It wasn't in great shape. You know, if you were to rate it on a scale of 1 to 10, yeah. it was about a 3. Yeah. So it's not not great, but it's certainly not bad. Yeah. From 1962, My we sold it for £3,500. Unreal. So it was one of those, it shows you that there's certainly an audience out there for those books, but we don't know. I wish we sold books like that every day. <laughs> so so £3.60 comics is what, is what keeps us ticking over. But, you know, we in the shop at the minute, the reason I used the example of Black Panther, we have the first appearance of Black Panther in the shop at the minute, priced at £500. If oh, you look yeah. online, you're not going to get it cheaper than about seven, eight hundred. So yeah. we price still very competitively compared to online because when I see people come into the shop, we live in a, what you called earlier on, you know that, it's that window, window shopping generation where you'll come in with your phone, you'll look at a comic and go, Right, first Black Panther. What's he's got five hundred on it? Uh, let me type in eBay. Bloody mm. on eBay, it's sitting at four hundred and fifty. So what they'll do is they'll just buy it on eBay. Yeah, yeah. So I want me when people are in, I want them to go. Fuck five hundred pound. That's like eight hundred quid on eBay yeah, or yeah, eight hundred yeah, quid yeah. on Amazon or wherever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they'll go. Do you know what? I'll get it here. So yeah. you have to be very competitive, and that's why I think we do so well with those sort of key issues. That's what they're called. So that's where our we niche in Belfast has certainly flourished because. You won't walk into a shop really and then anywhere and find the types of books that we bring in. And um, I think that you have to carve out a niche when you're doing Aye. shops like ours. And as good as the new release comic books are, the, the £3.60 ones, and the, the, whilst they do keep the shop ticking over and can you know keep the shop running, those big, big sort of sales are the ones that are able for you to 
be able to do big events and, and that's the stuff Aye. that gives you a wee bit of extra income yeah, that can yeah. really drive the shop forward. Yeah. So that's the sort of the niche and collectability at the minute that really is starting to take off oh, hugely. Because, you know, you know, I tell my mum, you know, sold a comic for three and a half grand. She'd be like, <laughs> somebody bought a bit of paper for that. You know, and that's what a lot of people's views are. It's yeah, just a yeah, bit yeah, of paper. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the, the historical importance of some of those bits of paper that people are banned for. You know, Aye. the first appearance of Superman recently sold online. Now, I wish I had it. It was 1932 <laughs> or something. It was out. And you know what it's sold for? 3.2 million. Mm. So... If anybody gets a hold of one of them, bring it into the shop for me. Yeah, I'll yeah, give we'll, you a tenner. We'll, 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 we'll do all right. Yeah. No, it's just, it just shows you that there is a massive market out there. Yeah. It's huge. And is comic book industry the sort of thing where people will come to you because you're trusted? You can, like, you know, verify if a comic's real or not. Is that a thing? Yeah. It is. I mean, there are, like, any sort of... When, whenever something becomes very hot, that's when people start to do forgeries of things. And it's yeah. when stop, people start to, to try to take the hand out of people. But... Aye. And do you sell on behalf of people? Like, let's say I, I did have a you know first parent Superman. Yeah. And I was like, look, I don't know how to sell this. Would you come in and would you sell that for me? And you know, we've done it in the past. One of the things that we do is we would give you an idea of the valuation on it because we obviously, from being an industry, we have a good idea of the sort of current price yeah. value. Um, if you want us to sell on your behalf, of course we could do that. A lot of the times we offer to buy it and then sell it, so we Aye. make a wee bit on it. Um, but no, we do. We offer that service of a lot of people don't know what they've got. And a lot of people come into the shop and go, what you give me for them? Some people ask for the world and it's crazy. It's ridiculous amounts of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Other people come in and they don't know what they've got yeah. and they'll say, uh, can you give me a tenner for all these? And I go, yeah. fuck no way. You, you need £400 for them. You know, yeah, yeah, people yeah, sometimes, yeah. they don't know what they've got. And yeah. I think the reason why we've done so well is we've built a reputation up of being very honest and transparent when, when it comes to the, the valuation of comics. Like if somebody brought me in a box of 20, and I noticed one of them was worth a hundred pound. Yeah, I'll pull it out and say to the person, "Listen, it's worth a hundred pound. I'll give you sixty or seventy. You know, yeah. I won't go. It's worth a hundred. It's worth a pound. I'll give you ten p. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, because those people I know will come will come back in at some point, and if they go, Aaron, I sold you that last week for ten yeah. p. Why the fuck's it on your wall for two hundred quid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they'll they'll lose all trust. Yeah, you get bad reviews written about you, all that shit. Yeah, and, and maybe I'm just a, a weird one. I believe in karma, and it comes back around. And I do think that we've built up that degree of trustworthiness and honesty and, and I say transparency that anybody who wants a, a fair evaluation of what they've got we're always more than happy to do it and we don't charge people for even giving a value in a comic you know yeah, yeah, it's yeah, what yeah. I enjoy you know I love hunting through people's collections going here do you know you've got this it's worth X amount yeah and to see the smile sometimes people go what my granddad can miss and you know it's just it's brilliant it's brilliant it's one of my favorite parts of the job unreal um Land the plane here a wee bit, just a couple of kind of more quick fire sort of ones, a couple of wee stock ones we always got, ask everyone. First one, um, really specific to you, just something I was thinking about here. What if you could have one comic book in the world? Now, don't just tell me it's the most expensive one. So <laughs> take take money out of the equation. If you could have any comic book in the world or any comic in the world, what would you choose? I've got it. You've got it? Mm-hmm. Even better. Hit us. Spider-Man issue 177. And why is that special to you? It's the first one my dad got me to read. Is that it? I was going it's to ask true. you earlier, and I was like, "Crap! What if he doesn't remember?" It's it's not a, nothing key about it. It's a story with lizard in it. Absolutely. When I go back and reread it, it's a lot of shit. Actually, there's <laughs> not not it's not a great read, but it's what got me into comics. I mean, it's the comic that if somebody said to me, "What comic is dearest to you?" That's the right. answer we'll give. I think the comic that I would most like to have is. 
be if I'm being honest, something like the first appearance of Green Lantern. Green Lantern is my favorite superhero. Oh yeah, which is a strange one. Yeah, it's, uh, I have this. How'd thing. you like the movie? I didn't mind it, you yeah. know, as much as everybody thought it was a bad. It shit. gets trolled like Nickelback. Yeah. It's like that sort of. Yeah. Stuff. It's but really secretly, on. secretly likes yeah, Nickelback. Loves you know? Nickelback. Yeah, that's the thing. And, <laughs> so I don't. The, and Ryan Reynolds was class. I give him his sort of chance of being testing out the idea of a, a superhero. But I love the character Hal Jordan, who is the Green Lantern, and um, his first appearance would cost you know two, three grand if I wanted yeah. to get it. I could get it. I could. I, I could certainly track it down, but. It's one of those ones that I want to find at the right time. I yeah. want to find it going through a box or hunting yeah. it down. Um, but that's the one that sort of I would yeah. love to have in my own collection. What is it by Green Lantern? Why do you? I just love his arrogance. Yeah, yeah. When I was reading him as a kid, I just thought, Fuck, I wish I was as cool as him. <laughs> you know, he got he got the women. He he sort of walked about with a a level of confidence that I wish I had as a kid. But it always came back to it. At the end of the day, he was. For all his ills, he was still helping people, mm. and he was—he always cared about more about other people. Yeah. And a bit like you know, he was very relatable in that sense. You know, but everybody would say Spider Man because Peter Parker's a kid, and you can relate to Peter Parker and stuff. But for me as a kid, I just thought Green Lantern for being such a dickhead actually was really likable. Yeah, somebody yeah. who I thought, you know what, this guy's class. Yeah. For all his faults, he still wants to do the best for everybody, and he wasn't only protecting one or two people; he's protecting the planet. Yeah. You know, he's just a. Unbelievable. I loved him. And his power was pretty cool. He could do anything he wanted with his mind. Thought that's some power to have. Yeah. Yeah. Class. Class man. Uh the last question, really simply, is this. Uh if you could go back in let's say, you know, turn the studio into a time machine and you go back and just sit down with your younger version of yourself whenever you're reading that comic book for the first time and you had a couple of minutes of his time, what advice would you give yourself? I would say don't change a thing. Do everything as you did it. I think we were very, very, and I still maintain we are two, we are the luckiest people in the planet to be doing something that you love. And it is an old saying, you know, for as long as you're doing something that you enjoy, it'll never feel like a day's work. Mm. And if I if I could, could have told myself when I was five or six that you'd be owning a comic book shop, writing your own comics, getting to talk yeah. on shows like this <laughs> about comics, fuck, I would have, I would have laughed your and said you're full of shit, Aaron. You know, <laughs> you go back to living a dream, man. But so the advice I would say to him is. Do it, and he maybe even just do it earlier. Yeah. I would, t- the thing is, and it's what I tell other people, too many people are completely risk-adverse in life. Sometimes you have to take the leap. You have to, you do, you have to, a bit like a superhero, you have to, you have to have that moment in your life where you go, do you know what? It might go wrong, mm. but it might go amazingly right. And for us, we're very lucky that a lot of hard work in it too, but, you know, everything sort of lined up and we were very lucky to open the shop when we did and it has given us a good lifestyle. No, you know, don't get me wrong, I, I don't I don't live as lavishly as what I might have used to do, you know, <laughs> for holidays and all that sort of caper, but for the, those moments of not living maybe as luxurious, my lifestyle now is far, I'm far happier as a person uh, and I would say I'm much richer for it and I don't mean financially. It's amazing. Aaron, thanks so much for coming on the show, appreciate you. Thank you, Matthew, it's been great. Lovely stuff. Aaron, thank you very, very much for making the time for us to sit down and chat. I love now being able to like walk past certain places and know so much more about them, hear the backstory. Oh, the backstory? That's like a comic term, isn't it? The origin story of the comic book, guys. Yeah, my voice is gone. Sorry, guys. But thank you very much for listening. Really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to hear more conversations like this with incredible people from Northern Ireland, there are plenty of them i'm sure as you're aware um we've interviewed just a small 50 of them it's a small cross-section of lots of entrepreneurs creatives artists business leaders 
graffiti artists, St. George's market traders, restaurant owners, and on and on and on. Now we can add comic book, uh, comic book creators and comic book shop owners to that uh, diverse portfolio. <laughs> really appreciate you guys. Thanks so much for all the support for the show. If you'd like to see who else we've interviewed, you can head to bestspellfast.org, where you can also support the show financially to keep the show running and growing. You can also get an email newsletter, which will ping you photos and links to all of our guests as the shows go out. And other than that, guys, thanks very much. My name is Matthew Thompson. You're listening to Best Belfast. Until next time, all the very best. Cheers. Hi, I'm Rebecca, creative at Lines and Current, an online jewellery and accessories brand. And I live in East Belfast with my husband, John, who also works on our business with me and our three kids. I like listening to the Best of Belfast podcast because I really love to hear the nitty gritty stuff that comes with those types of unfiltered conversations that Matt has with his local guests. I'd say my favourite episode was probably that one with Grace Chambers, the 91-year-old parkrun record holder. I think for us... um, We really like what Matt is doing and we've loved supporting what he's doing. Um, He seems to just be shining a light on the Northern Irish people, community and exposing all those untold stories. So yeah, if you've been on the fence about joining the Producers Club and you'd miss Best of Belfast if it wasn't there, I'd recommend you consider joining today. You can do so over at bestofbelfast.org and I look forward to seeing you in the WhatsApp group soon.